Thanks for tuning in to the Beer Mighty Things podcast, your place for education and happenings for all things craft beverage. I'm your host, Kyle Reiner. I hope you obtained some value from our show because, as you know, far better it is to Beer Mighty Things. Cheers. Welcome in to the Beer Mighty Things podcast. Today we're speaking with Maureen Fabry, co-founder, head brewer, and sole brewer of Craft Roots Brewing in Milford, Massachusetts. Maureen, welcome in. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing wonderful today. How are you doing? I am well, thank you. As I mentioned, uh, I, I got my Starbucks today, so I am ripping and roaring. I'm very happy. <laughs> I, I, I'd gone like three months without Starbucks, and I was like, I need to go get some Starbucks. Uh, something one of those things that you miss, you know? So. Oh, for sure. And then when you get back in after three months out, you really appreciate it, right? Absolutely. Like, wow, why did I wait so long to go? <laughs> Absolutely. So, Maureen, Craft Roots Brewing is the first 100% women-owned brick-and-mortar brewery in the history of Massachusetts. That's pretty neat. Tell me about that. Yeah, that is um, definitely a, a momentous um, title, not something like we set out to do, but um, I'm pretty happy to see that there have been some other 100% women-owned breweries since, so we're definitely on a, a trajectory here of having a lot of women in the industry and um, you know, a lot of progress. Yeah, and I think you just, I mean, there's, there are so many women in that New England area, more so than I've seen elsewhere. I know Pennsylvania is a big state and we're starting to get more and more here, but Overall, I mean, you ladies, right? The Boston Pink Boots chapter is the largest in the country, I think. and mm -hmm. Maybe in the globe, I think. Really? Yeah, I think that's what I heard of late. And that's mm -hmm. been a real quick trajectory, too. I think that's just um, happened since Brie pulled it together and took it, you know, from the roots up just a couple of years ago. It's very cool. And a lot of scholarships have been earned and uh, just a mm -hmm. lot of education and, and paying it forward. That's mm -hmm. very cool. Yeah. So... Maureen, where is Milford, Massachusetts? So uh, we're in Metro West Boston, about 25 miles out. And uh, if you know where the Boston Marathon starts, that's the neighboring town to us, Hopkinton. So okay. kind of like, you know, the, the Metro West area. Now, are you guys kind of open in the mornings of the Boston Marathon and maybe grab a <laughs> pint while the, the starting line kicks off or what? There's a great brewery in Hopkinton, um, Start Line, aptly named. So I think they do some gangbuster business uh, that day. It's tough to get anywhere near Hopkinton on, on those mornings. But um, yeah, they're, they're uh, friends of ours, and they're recently opened as well, about the same time we opened. That's amazing. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, their brewery name, obviously, is uh, dedicated to that. That's pretty neat. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, you started in 2015, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, Craft Roots began uh, 2015 as a really small little brewery um, operating on a 10-gallon system. So 10-gallon? <laughs> 10 gallons. All right. And what led you to beer and brewing? I mean, I think I read something about Chicago and home brewing. Yeah, so, you know, I think I had one of those pretty typical lost um, decades in the 20s where I bounced around after college and tried this and tried that and never really felt like I was... Uh, doing something that was meaningful. That was always real important to me. But um, I sure loved craft beer as it first started to evolve. So, you know, back then, I think my first beer I had, not really a craft beer, but it was a Heineken Dark Lager. And um, that was, yeah, such a counterpoint to the American Light Lagers I had tried. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, I remember having that. I, I don't think I was even 21 when I <laughs> 
when I had that one. <laughs> of course. And it, it really like blew my mind. And um, then I moved um, from the Chicago area out to Boston. And of course, Sam Adams was like really emerging on the scene. I remember trying their beers and um, thinking to myself, like, what is this? What is this flavor? What is this, this craft beer thing? So it captivated me. Um, so I ended up thinking, Hey, let's, let's get a home brew kit and, and, you know, give it a whirl. Cause I was a pre-med major and, you know, like science, but in more of an applied way, not on right. like science mind. Um, so I actually bought the home brewing kit for my girlfriend, but now wife at the time, Robin. And, um, she always kids and says, the reason I'm a brewer is cause she's lazy. She took one look at the home brew kit and said, why would I go to all this trouble <laughs> to, to make like 24 beers when I could just go buy a 30 pack or something for 10 bucks? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we all value our time differently, I suppose. <laughs> but I mean, that's a logical way of doing it. It's like, hey, I can just go get it. But uh, it's not as fresh when it's on the shelf. No. Nice. So, yeah. You're, I mean, you have a, a pretty extensive career. Brew Moon, Rock Bottom. Uh, John Harvard's tell me about that. Yeah. So um, after I did a little bit of home brewing, I um, had kind of always taken an academic approach, you know, in my life and figured it's not exactly a field where I see a bunch of women and it's going to be super important for me to be credentialed, um, not just as a, um, you know, something to show, but also you need to have the content as a brewer to, um, to really do the job. So I decided to go to the American Brewers Guild, which was a correspondence thing run by uh, Steve Parks um, in, conjunct in conjunction with UC Davis. And I love that because there was an apprenticeship program. So I knew I'd be getting the online training, going out to California for some online um, coursework and, and hands-on work. But then I was able to then do a, a full-on apprenticeship here in the Boston area. So for me, that was, um, that was super valuable. And what and year I, was that? That was, I uh, graduated in 99, and I was fortunate enough to find a female brewer at Brew Moon, which is really why I wanted to do my apprenticeship there. Um, okay. Dara Bryans was there at the time. Where is Brew Moon? Uh, they were in, um, there's one in Quincy, and there was one in uh, Cambridge. Okay, so it is a New England brewery. Uh, they were, and they were acquired by Rock Bottom. I see. I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, this was way back when in the nineties. Okay. Um, so yeah, I worked with them for a little while, but um, quickly went from apprenticeship to a, um, a part-time job with um, John Harvard's in Cambridge. And so you go to John Harvard's and how long are you there? Pretty short time, probably about six months. And then um, beer works was uh, looking for some help in the Fenway area and opening up a new brewery at, uh, at the Boston garden. Yeah, Boston Beer Works, right? Yeah, Boston Beer Works, right. And as fate would have it, I was able to train with a female brewer there as well, um, Jody Andros, who's uh, she I think has recently left the beer world and is now in the uh, the cannabis world. But um, she was, you know, a pioneer, graduate okay. at Siebel, and running the whole show at uh, at Fenway Beer Works back then, like early two thousand. Interesting. Yeah. And then you left the brewing industry. Is that right? So after that, I did go out to Berkshire Brewing Company in Western Mass. I'm starting to sound transient, like I bounced from one. <laughs> it's a, one it's a journey. Well, it's been 21 years. It's yeah. a journey. <laughs> so, yeah, I met Gary Bogoff, um, who's the uh, founder and um, uh, president of uh, Berkshire Brewing Company. 
So I decided to expand my skills and work for a microbrewery instead of a brew pub. So I worked out there with them in Western Mass from about, I think it was 2001 to about 2005. And when you um, say that, you're essentially saying, hey, we went from having a kitchen to just producing beer. Correct. No kitchen. Yeah. Okay. Much larger barrel size too. Production wise, we were doing uh, 21 barrels at a time. And I want to say like annual barrelage was about 18,000 barrels a year. So wow. pretty big. Yeah, pretty big jump. Yeah. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to kind of um, get more, uh, more exposure, learn more about brewing on a larger scale, packaging line, all that. Okay. And then that's kind of, and after that, you went back to that, that 10 gallon. Yeah. So at that point, um, around 2006, it was, um, it was time to start a family. So, um, decided to, uh, not miss that opportunity. So yeah, I had our twin boys in, uh, 2006. So okay. they're 13 now, um, uh, but stayed home, home brewing the whole time. And this is when kind of the revolution of craft mall was really beginning to, to take off. Thanks in large part to, you know, the craft mobsters guild, um, Maine Malt House up in Maine, Blue Ox, Valley Malt, all this um, kind of energy and enthusiasm for food, you know, farm to table, grain to glass was super yeah. captivating and interesting to me. So I began to explore that on a small scale as a home brewer. What's your favorite smell, you know, when you're brewing? Which malt? Is there a, something that comes uh, to mind? You know, there's a smell that comes out of the kettle when it's coming to a boil. So, like, when you're running off, it's kind of hovering around a boiling point. But you can smell it when it hits boil. And it's got this really nice, um, depending, of course, on the, the type of beer you're brewing, but it's got this really nice bready caramelization smell. And you, you can just smell this, this rich maltiness. Is that one specific type of malt? Uh, I get it pretty much when, you know, you're brewing anything, you can kind of get that, that smell when it's come to a boil, but certainly like, you know, the more rich beers, like, you know, a Bach or, a um, Oktoberfest beer sure. or, you know, any of these real, um, you know, robust malt bills give that, that super nice, like, um, caramelized smell. Absolutely. Very cool. And what size is your brewery now? I think you, you moved into well, like 4,800 square feet or so. Yeah, something like that. So uh, we're running on a seven-barrel brew house, and um, you know, I think we talked about it a little bit, but we're we're sourcing a hundred percent of our grain from local craft maltsters. So hundred percent of the grains we use come just from the Northeast region. So in terms of equipment, we felt like you know, if our mission is to create a beer that has a sense of place, there's ingredients that are grown locally. The hops that we use, about 75% are also grown uh, in Western Mass. We want to source our equipment from a supplier that's also real local. So um, our entire brew house and our, um, our four fermenters were made by a company in upstate New York. And um, they're, they're like, uh, you know, one of a kind. It was their first brew house that they ever made. First mash tun, first kettle, first really? liquor tank. Very <laughs> yeah. nice. Yeah. So we definitely tried to do everything as authentic as we could to sourcing things with local small business. In 2017, then you were named um, from the National Brewers Association, uh, the fastest growing brewery in the country. Yeah, that um, that was a, a complete shock to us because we're you know we're pretty small on a seven barrel system. We max out at about five hundred barrels a year, okay. but when you begin on a ten gallon system as a legitimate you know licensed business operating um, you know and in a sense in our in our garage, it looks pretty impressive when you go from ten gallons a year to you know 
<laughs> a real professional system at seven barrels a year, but Hey, we'll take it. I mean, it, it's, it was an honor. Were there any challenges in kind of scaling up to that? What did you have to do things differently or? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a totally different system, obviously, but I use the same recipes and the same grain. So part of the, um, you know, the theory of starting on a small scale was to try out local craft malt as it was just beginning, you know, to see, um, what kind of beer it made to see what kind of reception we would have in the marketplace with that sort of a beer. And also to know that there would be a supply of it. So, right. um, you know, there were just a, a handful of craft monsters at the time. And now there's so many more nationwide, um, you know, hundreds. So I think we actually were able to make that transition from a smaller size volume up to a bigger one, you know, pretty seamlessly. And you had, you know, you had that experience, I think, uh, leading up to that, where you knew yeah. how to brew on these larger systems and, you know, from a production schedule and managing yeah. all that. So. Yeah. It helps kinda... to have friends too. You can kind of reach out to and, you know, cross check, Hey, I'm scaling up from this to this. And I know it's not a one-to-one, but it, it helped a lot to be able to network. Isn't that the best thing about our industry is the fact that, you know, you can call just the brewery down the road and they're willing to help you versus like shun you and push you away. Cause you know, it's you all versus say like, you know, you know, InBev, you know, um, so everybody works together, shares ingredients, shares ideas, you know? Yeah. I still see that. I I think that, um, you know, as there's more and more competition and more and more breweries, uh, nationwide, there's been, um, some concern, I guess, amongst us that things yeah. may change, elbows might get sharper, but that hasn't been my experience. People are willing to, to help each other out, particularly in our mass um, brewers guild scene. You know, we constantly are seeing people reach out on Facebook saying, Hey, anybody got, you know, 44 pounds of citra, I need it. And right. incredibly helpful to one another. Yeah. We see that here in Pennsylvania. How many um, breweries are in your guild? Uh, in terms of membership, you mean? Yep. Uh, I think we're around, oh boy, I want to say like 120, something like that out of, I don't quote me, but I, I think we're, you know, shy of 150. So, you know, pretty good. That's pretty a good great turnout. percentage. Yeah. I think, um, you know, things obviously are quite in flux right now <laughs> with the business climate that we're in. Um, but the, the guild has been hugely, hugely helpful during this COVID-19 crisis of, um, advocating for us, uh, with our, with our government and, um, yeah. helping us get to opening in, in some fashion in, in phase two. Yeah. What, uh, what color do you guys, are you guys using that color system of hey, no. we're red, green, and yellow? That's what we do here in Pennsylvania. Some counties are, you know, we were red, right? Shut down. Um, then we had there right now, Pennsylvania is pretty much for the most part in yellow, which is like, all right, outdoor seating, you know, six feet apart, 10 feet apart. Um, okay. and then, but in like Pittsburgh, it's green. It's kind of like, go for it. So okay. yeah, different. we're yellow, I guess you'd say we're not actually using the color system, but we do have outdoor seating only, uh, that just began for us over the weekend. So we have a new beer garden that we just, yeah. um, transformed ourselves into and uh so far so good with that but yeah outdoor seating of tables umbrellas you know people six feet apart stay with your party no masks on at the table so how many patrons can you fit out there uh so we are limited to uh 60 so 15 tables four seats each but that's fantastic it's that's great so incredible to see people coming back out smiles on their faces and having a beer (laughs) it's been awesome absolutely I see your, uh, your tap handles are obviously, you know, wood. Um, 
craft roots here. So is that, are those designed by Robin? Oh, wow. Excellent. Yeah. She made those by hand. She's um, a former law enforcement uh, officer, state trooper, but also an art major. And she did all these tap handles herself, pulled them up out of the ground, whittled them down, uh, you know, varnished them, like retrofitted them to get to go on the, uh, the tap. So. And correct me if I'm wrong. She also has, you know, painted the furniture and the decor and she painted the paintings on the wall. That's correct. Yeah. Just, um, this really large sign you can see behind me has our our logo on it. So she fashioned that, that thing's gotta be, I don't know, 12 feet tall. Yeah. And that's uh, drink deeper. Is that your kind of tagline? Yeah. Yeah. A a way to get people to think about what's in the glass and where it came from. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what does craft roots mean? How'd you come up with that name? And I'm surprised that that wasn't already taken. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that because it was our second choice. So, <laughs> what was your first choice? So, our first choice was glass roots. So, kind of a play on grassroots yeah. and glass roots. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so like that a lot, but we discovered that um, there may be a possible trademark issue with um, Sean Hill up at Hill Farmstead. He's got a okay. little side brewing project called Grassroots Brewing. Yep. So, we didn't want there to be any kind of confusion or, you know, issue down the road. So, figured we would. Um, uh, abandon that one and go with craft roots instead, which I kind of like better anyway. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's got a great ring to it. It's different Thanks. than, you know, the gl- glass roots or grassroots that you, you would hear. Yeah. The the idea was, um, you know, grassroots meaning um, using local malt and um, mm-hmm. locally handcrafted malt and locally grown hops and kind of getting back to the, the roots of where, um, craft beer had evolved from using, you know, what's, uh, what's grown locally and, and what's part of a neighborhood or part of a community. Yeah. And I also would kind of attribute that to your roots, you know, your, your roots of brewing go mm-hmm. deep and from, you know, different sizes and different, you know, techniques and, um, you know, a journey. So I think that's neat. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. I like that. There you go. I got, I got ideas once in a while. Hey, thanks. <laughs> I see there's some some hype around your hop mantra IPA. Yeah, a little bit of that. Um, that's been probably one of our most successful hazy IPAs. I have to say in the beginning, like two years ago, um, I didn't quite understand the um, the haze craze. And I was a little reluctant to get on the, uh, the wagon. I thought of it as like dirty beer, like brewers not really properly transferring, you know, beer <laughs> from a fermenter into a bright tank. Uh, we don't filter any of our products. They naturally sediment. And so to me, I was trained as a classically trained brewer that if the beer was hazy, either somebody screwed up in the transfer process or it was chill haze. And I remember being completely freaked out when like a double IPA would come out of a plate and frame filter and throw a haze. I just remember being like, damn, I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. (laughs) (laughs) So I was a little bit um, reticent and I experimented quite a bit to try to, to make a hazy IPA with, you know, the, the classic process, not realizing that using a large portion of, you know, flaked wheat, flaked oat adjuncts along with the right yeast strain, you really need to have that proper yeast strain to get a yep. proper New England IPA. So Hot Mantra is kind of the first beer that I brewed in that vein using more, um, I don't want to say traditional, but more um, appropriate, I guess, techniques yeah. for, the, yeah. for the beer style. And uh, yeah, people really dug it. Very nice. All right. How do, how do you package your products? 
So we are selling the vast majority of it out of our tap room or now into our beer garden. But um, we do have six tells that we sell to a handful of local restaurants and those move pretty briskly. And then we also have what we call a squealer. It's a, a 32 ounce glass bottle and it is uh, completely reusable and re- refillable. So we're not canning our beer. It's a little bit like filling a growler when people come in, but it's How is that cut. sealed? Um, just with a screw on cap here. I'll show you one. Yeah. Interesting. Squealer. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It looks like that. So, um, you know, we decided to go with a 32 ounce size because it gives people an option if they want to choose two different beer styles. Uh, you know, you have one pint, um, and then it can tend to go flat if you don't, you know, drink the whole thing. But I mean, honestly, who's not drinking two pints when they open up? (laughs) That's just irresponsible. (laughs) If you're going to have a beer, have a beer, I always say. Absolutely. Yeah, one beer makes you sleepy, two beers, you know, puts you on the right track. <laughs> so this 32-ounce um, this squealer was our lifeblood through the immediate time frame uh, from when our governor shut everything down into lockdown. We were allowed to go to home delivery. So we yeah. sold through a crazy amount of these 32-ounce squealers. And I have to say, Robin and I, we were out driving these around and dropping them off at people's homes. And what a, I mean, not just a, um, a lifeline for a brewery, but also what a psychological boost it was for us and our customers to be able to get out and see how important our beer was to people and wave from a distance to our, our regular customers. It, it was, I have to say, a real silver lining of a, a difficult time. There's such a personal touch, you know, yeah. you show up with your shirt. It's like, you know, it's like back in the fifties when the milkman would come, right? You totally. know, now, we're, now we're delivering beer. You put smiles on people's faces and they get to put a face with a name. You know, it's not just totally. pouring a beer out of a tap and sitting down. It's, Oh, you know, that's Maureen and Robin. Like those are the owners. They personally delivered this, you know, and exactly. it's marketing, right? You have your, your shirts on and just bring in smiles. And that's, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. <laughs> absolutely. That, that's absolutely true. And for us, it was really um, heartwarming to see where our customers are. We didn't really realize how incredibly local and neighborhoody our customer base is. I mean, don't get me wrong, we are still driving 10 or 15 miles for the, you know, unusual odd um, distance. But for the most part, we have such a, you know, grassroots local following that it was really eye-opening for us to see how kind of saturated we are right, right in this little five town area. That's a good point. I didn't really think about that. You know, people come to your brewery and they see how you guys operate. And in this sense, you got to go to where they live and see how they operate. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Very cool. So what's going on? You guys got some, uh, some things coming up this week and, you know, with the guilds and, uh, you know, some events that you guys weren't able to have, but now you have, uh, the opportunity to do some fundraisers or Tell me about yeah, the so um, one of the things that's um, kind of hit our brewing industry hard, too, and our guild in particular, is we haven't been able to host a couple real important fundraisers because um, beer festivals, beer events, obviously, are not, not a go right now. So our guild is doing a uh, virtual variety show coming up on uh, Thursday night. I think it's 8 to 9 for folks to okay. tune in and see. So Thursday the 18th. Yeah, I think that's the 18th. Yeah, I actually saw that uh, posted on Instagram. I was interested to see what that's all about. Okay, yeah, you should definitely tune in. I want to encourage listeners to because um, uh, a lot of our breweries have submitted content 
of, um, you know, you name it, them doing a beer tasting or um, showcasing hidden talents that, uh, that brewers may have. And um, it'll be an opportunity to, to kind of see the, the more, you know, personal and humorous side of a, a lot of our colleagues in the brewing industry. But the main thing is to raise funds for our Mass Brewers Guild um, to try to recoup what we haven't been able to do. Very cool. So tell me about this virtual show, though. Where, where do we find it? How can we, you know, is it uh, we dial in online? And- uh, it's going to be a Facebook Live event, and okay. I believe um, there will be a link for it on the Mass Brewers Guild website, massbrewersguild.org, okay. and um, probably through the Facebook page as well. If you, uh, if you look up Mass Brewers Guild, there's a, um, I don't want to say public, but it, it's not the industry Mass Brewers Guild site. Members so, only kind of deal. Member, yeah, it's not that one. Yep. We got one of those in Pennsylvania. Good. Yeah. Instrumental in, um, in helping us, you know, protect our, our interests and, and advocate for the, the health and well-being of craft beer statewide. Instrumental. Yeah. It is. Uh, yeah. I think that the resources and knowledge um, and even changing laws and just the things that you guys are able to push through a guild, you know, anybody who's listening, if you're not if you're a brewery and you're not in a guild that, you know, you can't justify that 500 bucks a year or whatever it is. I mean, it's, it's worth it. I think that the, um, the content is just invaluable and that's kind of how this podcast started. I was in Pittsburgh at one of our guild meetings and a lot of the the Eastern Pennsylvania folks from Philadelphia and all that, they didn't make it to the Pittsburgh guild meeting. Um, so, I'm sitting there at the guild meeting and I'm, I'm noticing a lot of the, the content is very valuable and we're not recording it and nothing gets distributed. Mm. And so I literally am sitting there and I, I created um, craft mighty things podcast on my phone and just kind of as like a placeholder. Um, the, the dear mighty things quote by Teddy Roosevelt is one of my favorites. And that's, you know, I don't know, one day I was out for a jog or something and I was like, Oh, why don't I just make it, uh, beer mighty things it rhymes with deer and what the hell like what am I what was I thinking why wasn't I thinking that um, but that was ultimately this is you know my goal here is to create a library of you know uh, talking about obviously and highlighting the the breweries in the country but also different techniques different ideas and, and be able to share that you know it's not just breweries it's all the folks you know uh, we're talking glycol we're talking how to build a brewery what to look for how to hire um, you know safety just so that's, you know, educational library is the goal of this. And, uh, you know, without the guild, probably wouldn't have even thought about this. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would definitely advise anybody who's not a part of a guild or some sort of association, like definitely find one. The resources are incredible. So, yeah, that's Nardier. really a great example of how um, a guild can be so many things. So the archiving um, feature that you're that you're talking about, obviously, that that's a huge thing. But I don't think there's a better example than what our guild has done for us mass brewers in the last month or two, you know, advocating, going to the state house, being involved in government affairs, um, circulating information coming out from the alcohol control board, making sure that there's a live answer to people's questions about interpreting this, how to work with our local board of health. It's, it's been so many uh, moving parts in our, in our guild. When you think about it, it's really quite stunning that, the folks that are on the board and others who are also assisting in so many ways, they're running their own businesses during one of the most tumultuous times ever. But in addition to that, they're finding time to pull together what the rest of us need to operate. It's, it's truly monumental. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very cool. All right. Um, can I give you a couple rapid fires? 
I'll do my best. All right. <laughs> uh, did you have any uh, fun nicknames growing up? Or now, do you have any uh, nicknames in the brewing industry? In the brewing industry, yeah, you know, I, I was called Moses for a while by uh, yeah by Jody at uh, at Boston Beer Works. Not quite sure what the the origin of that was, but maybe um, I was a um, theology major for a, a master's here at BU for a little while. So who knows? <laughs> um, then I was called Mojo when I was at um, Berkshire Brewing Company. So as I was say, so it. you know, Maureen obviously short is Mo, so that. Yeah. that it goes hand in hand. I love it. Well, at least they're looking up to you as a figure. You're obviously, you know, a legend in the industry. So. <laughs> not true. You're, you're uh, not parting, true. you're parting the spent grain. <laughs> Had a way with cleaning out that mash tun quickly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, any favorite game shows? Oh, game shows. I gotta say, I don't watch a lot of TV. The occasional Jeopardy, I guess. Um, Same thing that uh, Matt from Exhibit A said. Yeah. It's always amazing the random things that you can answer and then the most like mainstream, you know, pop things like I can't even come up with those. Absolutely. It's amazing how the brain works, the things it retains. <laughs> or doesn't, yeah. Yeah, mostly doesn't. All right. Uh, hot or cold beverages? Uh, I'd say cold all the yeah. way, although I like hot coffee over iced coffee, but cold all the way. I was going to ask and then uh, coffee or tea? Definitely coffee. Not a big tea fan. How do you like your coffee? Uh, just a splash of cream. Yep. No sweetener. So almost black. Just yep. a little cream to take the edge off it. I'm Very super easy. particular about that too. I don't know how, um, that's one of the hardest things about like some coffee places where they put the cream in. Yep. I don't know how that works for them, right? Like us control freaks, we, we want to do our own coffee. Just like, there's no rhyme or reason to how they dump it in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or you say a little bit and you swear they put nothing in. Right. You know? Like, I don't know. Particular about that. I'm with you. I drink my coffee black on the weekends. Sometimes I'll throw a little cream in it. You know, I feel like I'm relaxing a little more on the weekends. Sometimes. <laughs> a little bit of, a little bit of half and half in there. Living on the edge there. Yeah. Getting wild. <laughs> cool. So what's in your fridge? Uh, as far as beers go, um, whatever. Maybe sauerkraut. I don't know. Uh, I got a lot of avocados and limes in there today. I Very noticed. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Been on a Making little bit. guacamole or what? Yeah, I love guacamole. Yeah. Oh, one of my favorites. I can't make it nearly as good as a couple of the little Mexican restaurants we go to around here, but I like to try. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you get to make it your own, too. Yeah. Gin and tonics, too. It's kind of a nice summer summer drink. I've been hankering for those recently, so limes can uh, come in handy just about anyway. Limes are very versatile. Yeah. yeah. Big fan of the color green, too. Okay. Yep. <laughs> very good. What, do you have any beer in your fridge? Uh, I do. I've got a four pack from, um, Remnant Brewing in Somerville. So Charlie, who's the, uh, the brewer there, he used to work with us at Beer Works too. I think he came on board back in the day when I was leaving. Um, okay. so I think it's a New England IPA called Clip Art. It was really good. Yeah. Very good. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you'd like to tell the world? How do we find Craft Roots Brewing uh, on the uh, the interwebs and social media? Yeah, so just craftrootsbrewing.com. And um, we've got an Instagram feed and um, and Facebook, too. And uh, I would just say stay tuned to our website because things are changing rapidly. We're hoping the next phase we can welcome some um, customers inside. So that's going to be our, our next move. And um, we do a lot of local live music too, which we haven't been able to do, but as soon as the board of health lifts that, we'll be bringing that back. Cause that's kind of a real foundational thing for us too. We've got some great acoustics here and some great local musicians that we really miss. You have great so, acoustics inside. 
Yeah, yeah, we hear that a lot from yeah from our um, musicians that the music comes out real nice inside. So um, just want to let people know that we'll be bringing that back just as soon as we're able to because people miss that. Love it, absolutely, very cool. All right, well, hey, I appreciate you. I know you got to run and do some uh, family type stuff, so yeah. I appreciate you. Thanks for being on here. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, you're an inspiration. So thanks again for your time. Well, thank you, Kyle. It's been great to chat with you and thank you for what you're doing. This archive you're building is, um, it's going to be more valuable than I think anybody realizes. So thank you for being a creative guy and, and doing what you do. You just gave me goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping this is something. I don't know. I don't know who's listening, but it's almost 2000 listens. So it is already in a short while. That's pretty impressive, man. Yeah. We're yeah. just having fun talking. I just miss seeing yeah. people. So that's what it's all about. All right, cool. Well, Hey Maureen, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care, Kyle. All right, that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. I hope you find this valuable. Please follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple. And while you're at Apple, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating. It helps us get noticed among the craft beverage community there. Thank you. Cheers and beer. Mighty things.